Good morning. That was awesome. A while back, Jay sent out a, a list to uh, the rest of us to choose from to, to preach on a, a topic in, uh, in uh, Proverbs. And I, one of the topics listed there was wisdom. And I'm thought, I thought, you know, there's a lot of info on wisdom. That should be a no-brainer. I'm going to grab that one. There is a lot of info on wisdom, let me tell you. As I started digging into this, I realized that um, the topic of God's wisdom is so vast, just alone in Scripture, that we could basically just say, open up your Bibles in Genesis, let's read through Revelation, and I'm pretty sure on every page we will be able to find something about God's wisdom. So, have any of you ever done a read through the entire Bible before today? In one sitting? <laughs> Me neither. Um, so obviously today we are uh, only going to be covering a, a minutia of what the Word says about God's wisdom. And we're going to start in Proverbs 8. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs 8. Uh, we're going to read portions of that. Uh, and let's get going. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 10, it says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is, the, is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. All right, so I, I have two sermons for you today. Um, Actually, I'm, I'm going to skim and provide you with a lot of scripture that, that could be made into multiple messages. Uh, but I, I want to set the foundations on wisdom and basically cap it for us after we've been through this whole series uh, on Proverbs, which is all about God's wisdom. First, foundationally, scriptures declare that, that God alone is wise and discerning, and human wisdom is either unable or unwilling to understand his ways. See, God's wisdom is described all throughout the Word in, in various ways and is never exhausted. Like uh, Psalm 147, 
verse 5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Romans, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Isaiah, talking about how profound his wisdom is. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Ephesians, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. It's also superior to human wisdom. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now here's an interesting thought. The universe is estimated to be about 156 billion light years wide. Can you grasp that? I can't. Once I get up to about maybe a thousand miles, then everything gets distorted. Well, you do the math of how higher God's thoughts and wisdom are than ours. I, I don't have enough toes. And, and you know what? The heavens are still being stretched out as, as we're, we're told that the universe is still ever expanding. How unsearchable his ways. They're higher than the heavens are from the earth. Second thing is that God exhibits his wisdom in numerous ways, as we see throughout Scripture told, uh, first in creation. And, and I'm not even going to go to Genesis for that. I'm going to go to Jeremiah. He says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom. Going back to Proverbs 8, wisdom involved. And by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Psalm 104 uh, o Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Proverbs 3.19, let me catch up here. Here we go. Uh, with wisdom, with God, our wisdom, sorry, I jumped ahead. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down their dew. Now, we get into Job. Job recounts numerous historical events that reveals God's wisdom in action uh, as they had already occurred. Some of those are, uh, he says, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. He's thinking of things that have happened. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. And, and he goes on and on uh, alluding to historical events that took place that God was fully in charge of. Things like he set up kings and he removes kings. He creates nations and he removes nations. He destroys them. Just a little note on this. God is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign in everything. Daniel reiterates this a little bit, and he says, uh, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. And I love this, this one line here that I, I think we could unpack sometime. <laughs> he knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. He knows what's in every human mind as well. For the Lord searches all hearts, and he understands every plan and thought. Psalm 139, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. See, and then also, wisdom is not just possessed by God. It is him. It comes from him. It exists because he is, and it comes from him because it is of him. In the proverb that we read, we are poetically told that wisdom was alone, along with God as he created, that she was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Now, it's evident in, in the proverb that the personification of wisdom showed her as God's companion in creating all that there is, which we're also presented to in John 1, that the Word was with God and was God and became flesh, and that through the Word, God made everything, and that everything that was made was made by, through, and for the Word who was revealed as Jesus. So then, interestingly, we see that God's wisdom is revealed and declared to us as Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6, let's start there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in chapter 11, he says, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, that's Old Testament. Jumping to the New Testament, Corinthians says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And in verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, and in Colossians, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians, uh, again, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Uh, further in 1 Corinthians, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom, the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through our wisdom, 
It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In Ephesians, he also says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So now we see that God's wisdom is described all throughout Scripture. And we just looked at a very small, small sliver of those. And and in our daily reading of His Word, and we regularly glean from His wisdom, and, and we are changed by it. We're also shown that His wisdom is on display everywhere for all to see, and and that ultimately Jesus is the real personification and representation of God's wisdom. Now, moving into the Gospels, we see that uh, the wisdom of Messiah was foretold uh, in the Old Testament, recognized in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Wisdom was characteristic of of Jesus' childhood in, in, in his ministry, Uh, His wisdom was acknowledged even by his enemies as exceptional in in numerous ways, in his teaching, in his dealing with people, and in dealing with opposition. There were times he just shut them down. They're like, we got nothing. We got nothing. His wisdom was also based on uh, prayer, on his maintaining a communication and relationship with his father. And it was based on Scripture. He regularly quoted from the Old Testament, almost as if he knew it intimately, because he's the Word. And he stated that he had come to fulfill the Word and the law that he knew intimately. He came to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament about the Messiah and, and coming to man to provide salvation. And, and I, I can only imagine Jay's going to be unfolding that like crazy when we're going through the Old Testament. And then John lists out numerous statements of Jesus that show that, all right, here we go, that Christ's life embodies the wisdom of God's will and purposes. Not just back before creation, but even in the flesh. Jesus said of himself in in John 8, 29, it says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John 5, 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 16. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. John 8, 28. So John said to to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Fourth thing, God gives his wisdom now to us. Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. 
We're getting a lot of scripture here, folks. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd, and we understand that shepherd to be Jesus Christ. Daniel 2.23 says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So knowing that God does give his wisdom to people, James then says to us, if any of you lacks wisdom, now just for fun, can I see a show of hands of anyone who believes they could use a little bit more wisdom from God? Okay, so he's telling us now. If any of you lacks wisdom, I'm pretty sure that's all of us, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let's go ahead and pray for a minute. Father, uh, we're hearing a lot of your word, and we see that your word is wisdom, that Christ is your revealed word and is your revealed wisdom. And Lord, I know each one of us has things that we're we're dealing with, we're struggling with, we're contemplating. We need you. And so, Lord, according to your scripture, you tell us if we lack wisdom, and we do, let us ask God, and God, we are. We ask, Lord, please give generously. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul also reveals to us what his messages are all about, which is God imparting and revealing his wisdom to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 7, he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And that wisdom that he speaks of is God himself taking on human flesh as Jesus. To to reveal himself to us in the most physical and vulnerable way. And we see that this wisdom revealed to us as, as Jesus Christ and in his deep understanding of the Father and of people and of situations which was derived from his co-eternal relationship with God the Father and from intimate knowledge of being his word. God's wisdom is seen not only in all of creation, which the word says, but ultimately and finally in Christ. In his words, in his actions, in his dealings with individuals and, and mankind as a whole. And all of that is what Jesus is wanting for us as well. He knows that if we immerse ourselves in him, in his word, in his ways, and if we submit to him transforming us through all of that, then we can live out his power and his wisdom as the foundation of our life. And then, and only then, will we find ourselves living in accordance with the Father's will for our lives and living in his joy. 
Now, this is not to be seen as a legalistic thing, that we, we need to live out all that's in the Word to be right with God or, or, or whatever, but he's saying that if we are falling in love with the Father because we're pursuing Him as, as He wants to be pursued and found, then the fullness of His wisdom is available for us. And, and the Word, the, the wisdom of God, which was breathed out by God, is then useful for us, as in 2 Timothy 3, he says, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in all righteousness, so that everyone who pursues God may be becoming complete and equipped for every good work. All right, do you feel like you've been on a whirlwind of Scripture? Uh, and, And literally, we've scratched the surface. But the question now is, What do we do with all this information? How do we apply this in our lives? I mean, we're told that we're we're made to be like Him in His image and to become like Him, and He is wisdom. You know, after the Holy Spirit makes our minds new and, and open to Him, our next step is to pursue Him, to love Him. And as we love Him, to then seek how to apply what we learn about him and about us from his perspective, which leads us to our last point. This last point now is kind of like the seventh seal in Revelation. I told you I had two messages for you. You know, when the seventh seal was opened, what did we get? Seven trumpets. In our case, in this fifth point, I want to share five wisdom truths revealed to us in the gospel message. The message that Jesus, the wisdom of God, came to help us understand. Now, the first piece of wisdom and truth from the gospel is that we need to fully understand the extent and gravity of our sin. Now, I believe we think we we know it, but I also think we all tend to minimize it. And I also believe that if we didn't minimize it to some degree, if we rightly understood the depths and the gravity of our sin, each of us would be balled up in a fetal position, writhing in the utter grief of how separated we are from Him. The holy, holy, holy God to whom we will all give an answer of everything we have ever said and done, judged against not a balance, not a scale, but against his absolute holy perfection. Um, I remember when I was younger, um, I was constantly tormented by the neighborhood bully. He was awful. I mean, in my eyes, he was the personification of evil. And I was constantly in fear of him until one day. My brother pointed out that I was much bigger than him, than Paul, my tormentor. And that I should just stand up to him and fight. You know, I never had anyone point that out to me before. It was strange that I needed someone to point that out to me. But, you know, I finally kind of measured us up and I realized Paul is smaller than me. And, and, uh, okay. I'll fight. And then Paul ran inside his house and didn't bother me again. We didn't even get to fight. 
Now, the reason I shared that is that, you know, I was always a pretty good kid. I was, you know, one of the more compliant kids. But soon after that event, I took that new courage too far. Do you remember those white fiberglass flagpoles that kids used to attach to their bikes many years ago with the, with the orange flag on top? Basically, you know, saying, hey, everyone, I'm here. Well, during the summertime, I had found another kid alone on the playground at the school that was just down the street. And he, was, he seemed a little odd to me, and I started intimidating him, threatening to whip him with the pole. I don't remember if I actually did hit him or not, but he went home crying. And later his dad came to our house, actually it was like within 20 minutes, his dad came to our house, told my mom, and my mom wailed off and hit me. She was so angry. And there are a few things here. First, I, I'd never hurt anyone before that, that I recall. I'd never been yelled at or hit by my mom before or, or after that. I still had a whooping when dad got home. But I got a glimpse that the same evil and gravity of sin that was in Paul, my tormentor, was in me. I was no better than him. And I think we fight against accepting how exceedingly sinful we actually are. You know, we try to avoid looking into the depths of our own wickedness, or, or we weigh ourselves on a balance, measuring ourselves against other people, but only those worse than us. Or we believe that God will take us if our good just overbalances our bad, you know, as we see our badness. But that's not the way God measures He's the creator. He is the judge. It's his law, his perfectness that we're being measured against, not against our our warped sense of fairness. Genesis 6-5 says, near the very beginning, says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, in case we may want to point out that this was just a pre-flood condition. Things can't be that bad today. (laughs) Paul disabuses us of that notion in Romans 3. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Then it goes on talking about throats being open graves and other very unpleasant descriptions of how bad each of us and mankind as a whole really is in comparison to the holy and righteous Father who originally made us perfect. This is a disease. This is the disease which has affected the entirety of the human race, and it is 100% terminal. The second wisdom truth from the gospel 
is that we need to give him our hearts and affections first. You know, too often when we come to God, we tend to go right into trying to fix our behavior first. We believe that you know, we need to get our stuff together. We need to, to go back to church. We need to stop doing the bad things and, and maybe start doing the good things. And we'll set up all kinds of uh, relational, maybe m- motivational or corrective structures to constrain us, kind of like we do with our children. And now while those things are valuable, if this is all we do to combat our rebellion against sin, this is by far not enough. And, and we're going to get frustrated and we will fail like every New Year's resolution because our flesh riots against those disciplines and it riots hard. This is only trying to battle the symptoms of our sin by our own power, which is severely broken and weak. So while underneath that battle, For our behavior is another more foundational battle, and the greatest battle is the battle for our hearts. The battle for the thoughts and motives of our hearts, the actual us, the the inner person of our soul, our mind, our emotions, our spirit, our will, let's just call it heart, because the Bible does. The wisdom of God tells us that everything we say and do comes from our heart. And that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. This is also why the Bible is very clear that God wants our hearts first. He wants our affections, our soul's inclinations, our our very selves. And you know, the world is a wonderful and rotten place. it's It's a beautiful and severely broken place. And and while we are affected by others' sins around us and the brokenness of the world around us, we need to come to the full realization of the truth that our greatest problem is that that ugly sin resides in our hearts. And that is our public enemy, number one. And the message of the wisdom of the gospel is that God wants to transform our lives by transforming our hearts first. That's the only way lasting change and healing takes place. Through the transformation of our hearts, by His Spirit, through His Word, with others, pursuing the same thing, which is a part of what God's family is on mission. And this is the most important understanding, which is is why it's written in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. All right, so now that we understand that we need to know the depths of our sinfulness, the third revealed wisdom in the gospel is that instead of having a system to change our lives, whether it be a, a plan or a process, a place, a a creed, maybe some steps, whatever. No, our only hope is found in the person and actions of Jesus. You know, we've already seen, the scripture points out that Jesus is the wisdom of God, that he's the power of creation, and it's very clear that he is the power we need to change. 
and to live out any of the biblical truths that bring us healing and transformation and joy. 1 Corinthians 1.24 tells us Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2 says that our hearts are to be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our hope, therefore, is not found in our theological knowledge or in our experience in a church or in our living rightly or even in abstaining from certain things or or whatever, and these things are good but our hope is only in what Christ has done, period. It's in who he is. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So gospel wisdom says, Don't buy into a religion or a religious system to bring change into your life. Buy into the person, Jesus. Love him. Let him change you thoroughly, but don't stop there. It's awfully tempting to think, I have Jesus, prayed the prayer, or I believe in God, that's all I need. Wisdom goes on to say, that there's a continuing goal for that change in your life, and that is the gospel calls us to ever and ongoing growth and change while we are still here. So we've been changed by his grace, by the renewing of our hearts and our minds, and he wants us to be ever changing by his grace, and he will eventually completely change us by his grace on the other side of eternity. There are some specific goals he has in mind for us, things like, freeing us from the slavery that we still find ourselves in our sin. Freeing us from our bondage to ourselves and our own passions and desires. Freeing us from our, uh, uh, helping us uh, take on his character and live out who he is. Second Peter explains this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And lastly, wisdom, the gospel of Christ, get this, calls us to a lifestyle of confession, repentance, and faith. A lifestyle of regularly repenting and confessing, choosing to live by the love and faith that he's given to us. David Tripp, in uh, one of his books, How People Change, puts it this way. God has blessed you with his grace. He has gifted you with his presence. He has strengthened you with his power and made you the object of his eternal love. Because we belong to him, we live for his agenda. And if change is his agenda, 
then repentance and faith is the lifestyle to which we've been called. Now, the Apostle Paul kind of, I think Paul got, uh, Paul Tripp got, or David Tripp got this from the Apostle Paul, because in Titus, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we need to understand the depths of our sin. We need to give him our hearts and affections first before our behaviors. Wisdom says that our hope is only in the person and actions of Jesus. That God calls us to a lifestyle of growth and change and that will be accomplished by a lifestyle of confession, repentance, and faith. Which brings us to the table. And I'll have the band come up now. The table was, was implemented. Actually, I should say it was re-implemented to us. It used to be a celebration of the fact that the angel of death had passed over. And that salvation was secured for those who lived in obedience to what God had commanded. But now Jesus is saying that he is the way, he is the life, he is the truth. And everything that I mentioned here today, the wisdom of God was revealed to us in this symbol. That Christ came to provide a way for us to live with him for eternity. Christ was the new Passover. Now instead of breaking the bread of haste and, and passing it around, he, he took a loaf of bread and he tore it and he handed it out to each of the guys and said, this is no longer about that, but that pointed to me, and now I tell you, this is my body broken for you. And then he passed the cup, and he had each of them take a sip of it. He said, now, this is my blood. It's a new covenant that I'm making with you. We're going to share this together. This is a family thing. It's an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. Jesus saves each one of us individually. But then he brings us into an entirely new family that is his body with him being the head 
and he who dwells in unapproachable light, we are his body. Try to grasp that one. And so, as the band starts playing, I invite all of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, who you know that you have a relationship with him and he has forgiven you your sins, to come up and be a part of the family together and take this together. If you are here still checking out the claims of Christ, thank you for being here. We love you and we are so glad you're here. This time is not, this element is not for you at this point. And there's, there's no shame in that at this point. We love you and we're glad you're here. But let those who have experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ come together as this family to do this. And if you have any questions afterwards, please come and ask. Ask Jay, Robbie, myself, any of the elders, or maybe the person that brought you. There's some gluten-free chips up here as well. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as broken people, broken individuals and a broken family. But we know, Lord, that you are the one who saves us. You are the one who redeems us. You are the one who fixes us. You're the one who loves us. Thank you. In Jesus' name.